Uh, one of the questions I get asked all the time, um, having uh, multiple children, um, is do you have a favourite child? Do I, you know, people ask me all the time, do, do I have a favourite child? And one, only one of my kids is in uh, here at the moment, so obviously it's him <laughs> today. Uh, you know, is there a child that you like better than the others? Is there, is there one that draws your attention compared to others? And, now, and a lot of people have said, right, and people that know me very, very well, they've always said, I do. Steve, Steve has a favourite child. It's his daughter, right? So I have four sons and I have one daughter. And I can hand on heart tell you that she's definitely my favourite daughter, <laughs> right? Because I only have one daughter, right? And, you know... It, you know, but, but hand on heart, hand on heart, right? I don't have a favourite child. And it's actually quite difficult to, to sort of fathom around that because each child is so different. You know, my oldest is, is 15 because, you know, and he, you know he could be my favourite because he's independent. He, he, you know, he, he has the ability to go and earn money now. You know, like he, economically, it's a good investment, you know, you know. Uh, you know, well, number two, you know, my, my second son, he could be my favourite. You know, he was elected school captain, you know, like, you know, he, he could be my favourite. Uh, number three, my daughter, she could be my favourite because she's my one and only, you know, blossom amongst the thorns. Uh, you know, uh, number four, Zach, you know, he could be my favourite because he's probably my similar personality to me being uh, very, uh, how do I say it without saying it badly, he's a bit of a party animal. Uh, you know, or number five, because he's the little one, he's my last one, he's the cutest, not at the moment because he's sick, but you know, like how, how, how all these different things about each child, they draw me to each of them so differently, uh, and, and, and so I, I can't go, well, that's my favourite. And each of the reasons that, that I have for each of those kids is, is this bias that I have inside of me. Because um, I do. I have a bias that is inbuilt inside of my framework of life or my worldview that will draw to each of those kids. Now, we all live with bias. And I had to look this up because I didn't know what the plural of bias was. It's biases. <laughs> it's as simple as that, right? But what's a bias? A bias is an inclination or prejudice for or against one person or group. A bias is having favourites, and in doing that, choosing certain things over others, especially in people. We all have bias. We all have bias in our lives. Uh, there are types of people that we're drawn to, and there are types of people we're drawn away from, right? Right? There are people we want to hang out with, and there are people that we would rather not hang out with. Now, our biases can be based on many different categories. There's just so many, right? Race, age, gender, health, hobbies, looks, money, intellect, education, family status. The list can go on. You can have a bias on anything. I just finished watching this K-drama, and, and you know, you'd be pleased to know that your pastor watches K-dramas here and there. I'm a human too. I can't avoid them. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a K-drama called Our Blues. Um, great photo, Steve. <laughs> you also would know 
happy to know that your pastor is technologically uh, very low bar. Now, one of the things I really enjoyed about this drama compared to other dramas that I've seen was it really showed me that Korean society and Korean culture is changing a lot. Um, so many topics in this drama that were addressed even five, ten years ago would have been considered taboo and never talked about, but now it's becoming represented in the media. And I was actually really um, pleased to see that. It's, it, the drama brings up um, topics like mental illness, divorce, single parents, Down syndrome, teen pregnancy, and other topics that literally ten years ago you just would not talk about, especially in Korea. But it's a very real depiction of the world we live in today, how broken it is, how the, the nuclear 2.3 kid family just doesn't exist anymore. And I actually found this very refreshing, considering how conservative Korean culture used to be. Now, we're in the book of Acts, and what we're seeing is we're seeing Jesus who died and resurrected at the end of the book of Luke. And then we move into the book of Acts and Jesus moves into heaven and he commands the disciples, go and be witnesses. And so the whole book of Acts is this idea of the gospel, the message of Jesus going from Jerusalem and slowly seeping out, seeping out, seeping out to the ends of the earth. And once started in Jerusalem, the center of the Jewish people, it's going to end up at the end of the earth. And we see it moving geographically out of Jerusalem. And we're going to continue the story in Acts chapter 10. Okay, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Now this story is about a guy called Cornelius. Now what do we know about Cornelius? Three things. Number one, we know that he's not a Jew. He's a Roman Soldier. He's actually a Roman centurion. A centurion is someone that has a hundred soldiers underneath him. So he is someone of power and prestige. Secondly, uh, we know that even though he was not a Jew, he feared God. Now, we don't know why. We don't know how he ended up like that. But it says that he prayed regularly and he gave to the poor. Thirdly, we see that he is a good man in his generosity. Right? So it's pretty interesting that God turns up to a non-Jewish soldier, right? And he, command, and, and he says to Cornelius in the vision, he says, go and find Peter, who was one of the disciples. Cornelius wakes up and does exactly that. Verse 9, about noon, the following day, as they were on their journey approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and saw like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. 
Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. So the next day after Cornelius has this vision and and, and God says, go and find Peter, suddenly the story goes to Peter. And Peter's up on the roof, he gets hungry, and, and he's so hungry, he goes into a trance. And he has this vision, and, he's, he's, and, and, and God says, go kill and eat these animals. But Peter says, I cannot, because they are impure and unclean. Let's pause at that moment. Why are these animals unclean and impure? In the Old Testament, God lays down rules and regulations for what his people can do and can't do. And one of them was around what they could eat. And it wasn't just about pure diet, but it was about what God considered clean and pure and what made his people holy and separate from the rest of the world. In Leviticus 11, the whole chapter goes around what is a clean animal, what is an impure animal. And if God, if, if the people of God were even to touch the unclean and impure animal, they themselves would become unclean and pure. So God was saying, stay away from this. Also, only clean and pure animals were used in their worship and sacrifices to God. This was Old Testament law. So in Peter's mind, that's exactly what he was doing. He was following Old Testament law. And that's why it was so uncomfortable for Peter when the voice said, kill and eat these unclean and impure animals. Peter's like, no, no, I I can't do that. That would go against what I believe. And yet, The voice says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. I want to come back to that verse. Verse 17, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up, go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into his house uh, to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up, stand up, he said, I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. For when, so when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent me? So suddenly these two stories now collide. Right? Cornelius has had a vision. Go and go, go and bring Peter. Peter's had, had a vision and go, go and meet Cornelius and they get together. And the key verse in that was this when he said to them, Peter said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, any non-Jew. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. This is phenomenal. You've got to understand the whole Old Testament, the rules and regulations that God had for his people, 
is exactly what Peter was following, and yet God is now showing something else. God is saying, what I have called clean is clean. Right? Peter, a God-fearing Jew, enters the home of a Gentile, a non-Jewish person. People would have been shocked. People would have been, you know, some people would have been disgusted. And yet for Peter, because Peter had the vision and God already spoke to him, Peter already knew that something was being orchestrated by God. And he finishes with the question, may I ask why you sent for me? Let's continue, verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts every accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of all. You know that uh, you know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who are under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in, a, in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. He, they killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. What was God orchestrating? For Peter to share the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ to this Roman soldier and his household. And what was the result? Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter says, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they, then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. The Holy Spirit actually comes on non-Jewish people. And I think this is the part we really need to understand. It's suddenly the gospel is not just being shared geographically out but now it's actually being shared ethnically out. The spread of the gospel wasn't just about let's move it from one city to another, but it's going beyond just the Old Testament Jewish people, but is now going to the Gentiles. Through this passage, we see not only it goes beyond the Jews. Right? Verse 34, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. In the eyes of God, the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, that he came to live and die for our sins, is not just for one special nation or one special people group. But his desire is for all humankind that they would all hear his voice and accept him as Lord and Saviour. That's the message of the gospel and that's who it's for. 
See, what we need to understand this morning is this. God does not have a bias. God does not have favourites. His love and his desire is for all people from all nations. God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross, not just for some, but for all. And if our mission, if our mission is to witness what God has done, then our mission has to go beyond people that we like or people like us. But it has to go to everyone because that's who God desires. What's the problem? We're the problem. More specifically, it's the biases inside of us that are the problem. Now, you might be listening to me right now and you're like, I don't have a bias. And you're just a liar. We all have bias. We all have bias. We all have people that we're drawn to. We all have people that we walk away from. Now, I, I, I was praying about this sermon a lot because I think this is a really important sermon in, in the, the life of our church. I think if we don't understand this concept that God does not have a bias and that we need to get over our own biases, I think we're going to be in a lot of trouble as a church. And I don't think that God will not be pleased. And so as I was praying over our church and around some of the biases that I have, and I can acknowledge that, I have biases. There's people that I like. There's people that I don't really like. It's something that, you know, we, we firstly need God to reveal it to us. Some of us, we have biases. We don't even know we have, but it just, that's life. And so while I was praying about this, uh, I was like, you know what? I, 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 could, I could put a nice pretty bow on this and go, hey, guys, let's not be racist. Let's all love each other. Give the person next to you a hug. And then, you know, go. And I thought, you know what? I, I don't think that's going to really hit home for some of you. So I asked God, God, what, what are some of the most real biases that exist in our church and in our society. I want to list some. And this is going to make some of you feel very uncomfortable because some of these are your biases. Some of these biases I've heard from you. I'm not going to look at you. I'll just read the list. <laughs> Rich people, poor people, homeless people, people who smell, people who haven't been able to wash. What about people with mental illness, depression, anxiety, other disorders? What about sinful people? People who you know are involved in sin. People who you know are sleeping with their boyfriend and girlfriend. For some of the Koreans... Japanese people. For some of the people from Hong Kong, people from mainland China. People with different religious beliefs or people who grew up in different backgrounds. People who can't speak English. 
people who weren't born in this country, indigenous people. Is this making you uncomfortable? Because it's making me really uncomfortable. And I know the laughter that came out. I don't know why we're laughing. I think it's as real as it gets. If we can't understand, firstly, if we, if we can't be honest with ourselves and be honest with the biases that we have inside of us, we can never overcome them. If we leave those biases in the dark and choose not to deal with them or not to acknowledge them, then what we actually do is we fuel that. Look, no one's perfect. Let's just, every single one of us has bias. Of course, it's not something to be proud of. But let's just start with some honest speak. We all have bias. But what we need to understand is this. God doesn't. So the person you have a bias against, that same person, God loves them as much as he loves you. That's something that we need to start to understand in a big way. That person is not below you. That person is not, you know, isolated. Or, you know, but there are people, let's be real, there are people that you wish and you feel uncomfortable when they walk into church. That's your bias. That's just, let's, let's be as real as it gets. And yet, when that same person comes in, God is open arms to them in the same way that he is open arms to you. God, just the same way that I cannot tell you that I have a favorite child, God does not have a favorite child. Six billion plus, he loves them all equally. As, as, and you know what? Everyone is so unique and different, and that is a beautiful thing. But for some of us, we struggle to handle uniqueness and difference. And can I tell you, the worst thing that we can do, the worst thing that we can do is just accept our bias and just live with it. One of the things that I've learned doing ministry for, I don't know, 17 years or whatever it is, there have been people that have walked through the doors of the church and without me saying anything, my body tenses. Right? And I'm sure, you know, you guys are like that as well. Right? And this is where we know where our biases our prejudices really lie. People walk in, and for whatever reason, right, there's a million different reasons, and I can't even tell you, right? You go, they walk in, you go, and, and your body tenses, it has a physical response. Can I tell you one of the best ways to beat that is to go and say hello. I have... Um, and, and, and I tell you this honestly, it's not that I don't still have biases, right? But one of the ways that, one of the real practical ways to, to beat that, 
one of the reasons why our biases exist is because we're uneducated. We're uneducated about that person. And when, when a person walks in, what we, what we do is we frame them in the frame that exists in our mind instead of actually getting to know that person. Because once you start talking to that person, you realize it's not, oh, they're not just, you know, a race, a ethnicity, a socio, you know, socio-demographic, you know, a job, a, you know, gender. It's a person. A person with a story. A person that is loved by God just as much as God loves me. I have, I have met, uh, I've had the, the privilege of meeting so many different people in our, through church and through ministry. And I have learned so much about God's love for his people by meeting people. Because there are so many times, oh, hand on heart, right? I'm like, God, there's so many other churches they could have gone to. <laughs> Are you trying to teach me patience, God? You know? But I have learned so much about God when I meet people that are different to me. And I have learned so much about the extent of his love for his people that really goes beyond just my small framework in my own head. And if I'm serious about being witness, if I'm serious about sharing the gospel because God is the most important thing and my job is to be a witness, not to my people, but to all people, then I need to deal with these biases. I need to deal with the prejudices that exist in my life. Verse 15. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And when Jesus died on the cross, when his blood was shed on the cross, it was for every single person. And he made every single person clean. And so that verse, do not call anything impure that God has made clean, that needs to ring in every single one of us. This has to go beyond ethnicity. It has to go beyond culture. It has to go beyond age. It has to go beyond intellect and education. Here's one. It has to go beyond theology. I think we are the most prejudiced, Sadly, right, Christians are known as the most prejudiced people and not just against non-Christians but against Christians. Oh, those, you know, Presbyterians and all oh, those Baptists and, you know, all those Pentecrazies and, you know, like, like we're so, like, you know, we joke about it but it, it's actually, from an outsider's perspective, it's so ridiculous, right? It's so ridiculous that the message of the gospel says Jesus died for all and that we're all meant to love God and love each other and yet an outsider looks in the church and goes, the church is the most divisive place in the world. It doesn't make sense. How is it that the church, which is the most, it's meant to be the most inclusive place. Any single person is meant to be walking through these doors and we are meant to embrace anyone and welcome everyone. Suddenly it's not. 
And you hear things like, I didn't feel like I belong there. What is wrong? It's us. It's our biases. It's our prejudices that are going beyond what we know of what God is because God is not like that. That is our sinfulness. That is not God. We need to understand this today because this is going to shape the way you live your life and this is going to shape the way our church operates. This is going to be the color of our church. But can I tell you, on the flip side of that, one of the most encouraging things as a pastor and as the pastor of our church is I hear things like, man, I just felt like so welcomed. I felt like I was embraced. I felt like people didn't judge me. So it's not all doom and gloom. You know, and I, I, I agree. I, I think our church is very embracing. And, and I just think that... Um, <laughs> I think we're very accepting... And can I tell you what I think we're most accepting of? And I think it's very important. It's not race, age, you know, all of that. I think we're very accepting of broken people. I think we're very accepting of sinful people. And I thought, why is it like this, right? You know, I've had people comment to me, I would never be able to go to another church because they just wouldn't accept me. And I was thinking, why is it like this, God? And I realized why. It's because your senior pastor is one of the, the best sinful people in the world. <laughs> and the bar is super low. <laughs> but can I tell you, in my darkest days, in my sinfulness, in my brokenness, just like you, I feel embraced. I feel welcomed. I don't feel like I need to come and perform. I feel like I can come to church just as I am. Tired sometimes, frustrated sometimes, you know, sometimes I don't want to be there. Today I did. <laughs> but I know that when I walk through these doors, that our community doesn't see me because of my race or my age or my position. But you, want, you, you accept me for who I am. And that's exactly what God does for us. He accepts us for who we are. We need to learn to accept others for who they are. That's the challenge. I think there's three things that I need to finish with today. Number one, you need to know your bias. How can you fix something that if, if you don't know what's broken? You need to know your bias. And if you want to know what your bias is, just take a moment to think. What, who are some people that stress you out? Right? Introverted people, right? When they meet me, it's stressful. I understand. Right? I fully understand, right? Like, hi, Pastor Steve. Hello! You know, it's like... Thank you, Pastor. You know, like, and I'm, try, I'm, try, I'm doing my best to not be so interested. You know, but, you know, there are people that you have physical response to. So know your body as well, right? 
When you come to church, who do you say hello to and who do you avoid? When you walk out of church, who do you say bye to and who, you, who do you avoid? You've got to know your bias. Secondly, you've got to know and you've got to see them through God's eyes. Don't see them through your eyes. Don't see them through your bias. Don't see them through the biases of the world. How does God see them? You've got to see that. And thirdly, you've got to be proactive. You cannot sit back and suddenly all your biases disappear. To love someone is to actively love them, proactively love them. That's why I love when we go especially to camp. Camp breaks down a lot of these biases because camp is an opportunity where you're forced to get to meet other people that you've never said hello to. And I've seen the aftermath of camp. People that never said hello to each other because they were in the same group of camp, now they're saying hello. And yeah, it's just a hello and it's just the start of a conversation, but that's the beginning. I think that pleases God. Finally, if you've been on the other side of bias, whether it be me, whether it be our leadership, whether it be the church, if you've ever felt that maybe this place was not as embracing and accepting as, as God wanted it to be, then as the leader of this church, I want to humbly apologize. This is not God. That's not of God. That's human error. That's human sinfulness. That's not our desire as a church. Our desire is to represent the heart of God. And so many times we just don't get it right. And so if you've ever had that experience in whatever situation, anything to do with the church, you know, anything to do with the greater church, I humbly apologize because that really doesn't, that's not the heart of God. The heart of God says you're welcome. You belong. Yep, we're different. Yep, you know, we don't see eye to eye. But God loves you. God loves me. We're all children of God. We need to learn to work together and embrace each other. So let's pray.